0: R&R trains, coaches, and mentors women, empowering them to overcome personal and professional challenges and enabling them to revitalize and rise. You are now listening to R&R Heroes, conversations with inspirational and She-Roic female role models who are creating a difference. To hear these motivational conversations, subscribe to revitalizeandrise.com. Hello and a
1: very, very warm welcome to the latest episode of R&R And I'm really excited today because we have with us this really amazing entrepreneur, And her name is Michelle Green. So Michelle Green is the author and teacher behind The Business of Baking, which teaches business skills to people who want to turn their baking hobby into a profitable business. She's also an entrepreneur, writer, podcaster, mentor, and a mom of triplets. She's passionate about educating, inspiring people to give their dreams a good shot at becoming reality. Interestingly, these days, her blog is attracting loads of non-bakers because they all share one common goal, which is to see if they can make small businesses actually work for them. Her aim is to tell people how it really is while still encouraging them to go for it and give them the practical tools to make it happen. She shares her real life stories with all the ups and downs to demonstrate that everyone can do it. And yet she doesn't sugarcoat the experience. The most common feedback she gets is thank you for your refreshing honesty. All right. So without further ado, let's welcome her. Hello, Michelle. How are
2: you? I'm well here. Thank you so much as ha- for having me as a guest on your podcast. It's very exciting. <laughs>
1: you're most welcome. It is so good to to have you here. I was reading your profile and I absolutely loved it. I mean, you're a mom of triplets.
2: And now they are 16, but at the time that I started my business, they were two. So it was as crazy, you know, that expression, if you want something done, ask a busy person. That was me.
1: Oh my God. That's amazing. That's so inspiring. I think I would love to know more about yourself. I, I did read your profile, but we would like to hear from you as to what you do and how it is working from home, being a mom and a business owner. Sure. Well, I actually, um, I grew up
2: in a family and I don't know if you can relate to this um, at all, but my cultural background is such that my parents would never have approved of me being in the food business or working in cake. You know, they were like, you need to be a doctor, a lawyer, or like maybe an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I ended up kind of making my own path and I ended up becoming a, um, a chef and a pastry chef, but I always wanted to own a cake business. So um, when my kids were two, I went off to cooking school and I became a pastry chef and I was running running my business from home just on my kitchen bench. Like a lot of people start a cake business or a cupcake business, right? I just, you know, I made one thing for my kids and then everybody was like, Oh my goodness, you should sell those. You should be in business, you know, this kind of thing. So I started, uh, I started this bakery at the same time as I was doing chef work and I was raising the triplets and I had this crazy life for such a long time, but it was so rewarding. And eventually I was able to quit chefing and open my business full time. And I had a beautiful store and I was teaching other cake decorators and it was, All amazing. But then I got to the stage where the industry went a little bit crazy. You know, we had MasterChef on TV and like Great British Bake Off and Great Australian Bake Off and all this kind of stuff. And suddenly everybody was in the business of food. And I realized that my skills actually as a businesswoman were better than my skills as a cake maker. (laughs) And I'm a pretty good cake maker. So there you go. And so people started calling me and saying, you know, can I take you out for coffee and get some advice on my business? And I was like, all right, I'm not a coffee drinker, but sure. (laughs) And after, after a lot of coffees that I don't drink, I should actually say hot chocolate or tea because that's more my thing. Oh my God, Um, me too.
1: I love hot chocolate. Yeah, I'm not,
2: I'm not. I'm not a big fan of coffee. So I ended up actually starting the blog, The Business of Baking. And then when I sold my cake business uh, some years later, I decided to try doing the blog full time. And so now that's what I do. So it's, you know, it's very much a case of from little things, big things grow.
1: That is brilliant. I mean, that is just so good. When what I love about you is that, how you evolved and how the business evolved. I mean, you thought that this thing is not working anymore. So you kind of changed direction. And I think that's, that takes a lot of courage because a lot of people find it very difficult to step aside from what they're doing and actually, you know, have the courage to do something different, which, and I think I totally admire that about you. Um, So, so, so what do you do right now through blogging? I mean, how's it going?
2: It is going amazingly well. So this is my, let me think about this now. This is my third year of doing it full time. So I actually, I used some of the money from selling the bakery. I used that to fund uh, my salary as a blogger, and I thought I'm gonna give it six months, and if after six months I can't make a living as a blogger, I'll go back to chefing or whatever. But that six months ran out <laughs> many yeah. years ago. It's still wow. running. And so these days, I turn the business of baking into a book, into a podcast, into online classes, and I also teach, uh, in person as well. And I'll be heading your direction, actually, uh, in early November. I'll actually be, uh, in the UK teaching as well. So I've turned it into like, gosh, just this amazing, resource or series of resources. And my, my inspiration behind all of it is that I wish it was the information I wish I'd had when I was starting my cake business. It was yeah. the stuff I wish I'd known. And I'm always very careful to say, I don't claim to be any kind of expert. I can only claim to share my story and tell you what worked for me.
1: That's so
2: nice. that's it. You know,
1: that's great. I think people learn more from real life stories and real life examples rather than coated stuff. Um, I think that's, what's important
2: absolutely and i have a i have like an allergic reaction to sugarcoating stuff <laughs> like when somebody starts starts talking rubbish and just like oh you can make a million dollars in five minutes i'm like you know what can we just keep it real here that is so not the no. case
1: isn't, isn't the internet full of these people they'll show oh. you people and they'll say oh you can make you know million dollars in the first five months or I, I don't know i mean it just sounds so fake One of my, somebody else
2: in my industry sells a course where the tagline of the course is build your dream business in three months. And I'm like, that's not actually possible. It takes you at least three months to work out what the dream is, (laughs) let alone build the dream business. So yeah, I I have an allergic reaction to those Facebook ads that are like, you know, you too can be making a million dollars inside of five minutes. I'm like, yeah, only if you rob a bank. even Even that takes longer than five minutes, right?
1: Yeah.
2: I'm definitely about keeping it real, I have to say.
1: Definitely. I I love that. I think that's why you're here today as a guest. (laughs) Because we only invite real people who are creating a real difference every day. Okay, so Michelle, what I want to know is that what's interesting is that you're running a full-time blog and you're earning money and a lot of people would want to know how do you actually earn, earn money through blogs? Can you do that? You know, when
2: I first started out with the blog, um, I tried to make money in the traditional way. So I tried the advertising, I tried going out to get sponsors, I tried. I tried all those things that kind of expert bloggers were telling me that this is how you make money. You know, I had a media kit, I did all those things, right? And none of it worked for me. And none of it worked for me because I work in a very, very niche industry. I mean, I primarily teach women in the sweet food and specifically cake industry. I mean, I don't think it gets any tinier than that. So the traditional methods of making money from blogging didn't work for me. So in the end, I had to, yeah. So in the end, I changed my tactic and I started teaching, I I went old school and I started teaching live in-person classes about how to run a cake business uh, or how to run a food business. And that was my very first way of making money was doing it live. And these days, my, my uh, livelihood is still made from live classes because I adore teaching in person. It's my most favorite thing ever. Uh, but I've also got a digital class called "Build Your Profitable Cake Business," and I've got a book these days. And now I've got lots and lots of other things. I did some coaching for a while, so you know, when I talk about blogging as a, as a you know, as a, uh, as an income and blogging as a career, the actual blog itself, like the actual physical, it's not even physical, the actual digital blog itself, technically makes me no money at all. It's all the things around it right, that I've right, I've built right. up as a career.
1: Right, got it. Uh, so that's really interesting. And tell me something more about your book. What is it about?
2: So the book is a really interesting thing. You know, here my thing is when it comes to business, small business, big business, cake, not cake, whatever, the number one thing you have to do is actually listen to what your customers are asking you for. And so, you know, people used to read blogs very differently to how they read them now. You know, pre-Facebook days, we all read blogs and we read every article and they were really, really long. And I remember reading, oh my God, 15, 20, 30, whatever it was, blogs a week. And these days people simply don't have the time for that. True. So what I noticed is I was writing the blog and Articles that I thought were brilliant were kind of getting buried, you know what I mean? Because I wrote them six months ago. They just, you know, the internet uh, attention span is about three minutes, right? Right. So people started messaging me and saying, you know, Michelle, have you ever written an article about marketing? Have you ever written an article about how to move a home-based business into a storefront? Have you ever written an article about, you know, how to hire your first employee? And I was going through the blog, and I'd have to find my own article, <laughs> embarrassing, but there you go, about these topics, and then send them the link. And I thought, this is ridiculous. And then people kept sort of writing to me and saying, you know, is there a directory of your blog anywhere? or How do I find these articles? And I thought, you know what, maybe the thing to do is, again, maybe go a little bit old school and turn this blog into a book. So that's exactly what I did. And at the time, by the way, all these famous bloggers were like, this is the worst idea ever. You've got to be kidding me. Nobody's going to read it. You're just Packaging it. I mean, there were like I went and tried to get advice from other bloggers, all of whom basically told me not to do it. So I ended up downloading every article I wrote ever. I ended up editing them all. I ended up putting them all into a much more sensible fashion. So all the marketing ones are together, and all the ones about money management are together, and all the ones about you know, you know, kitchen equipment or whatever are together. I ended up adding in a whole bunch of content and basically kind of massage the blog into a book version. And that thing has sold like crazy. And the really cool part about it is how many beautiful emails I get from people who say, thank you so much for providing me with something that I can do on the go. So like moms often tell me, I have your book in the car and I read an article every time I'm waiting at school pickup. Or when I go out and have my morning coffee, I take it with me and I just read a short article because the articles are, are meant to be, and they are quite short. They're maybe, you know, three pages maximum.
1: Oh, that's amazing. That is so good. That is really inspiring. What I love is that despite whatever everyone told you, you just went ahead and did what you believed in. And that is, is really, you know, it, it's really something which is, which, which an R&R Shiro would do. <laughs> well, I kind of went, you know, all these bloggers telling
2: me not to do it, aren't the people who are going to buy my book anyway. Right. Right. So I've got to listen to the people who are actually going to buy the book. And, like, fascinatingly to me, every week I get emails saying, thank you so much, it's become my Bible. And one of the things that makes me so proud is that when I teach classes in person now, people bring their book with them and ask me to sign it when I'm there in person. And I love seeing that these things are, like, most of the time falling apart, covered in chocolate. Like, (laughs) you know, people are actually using it. And I think that we've become such a digital society but in reality, there's still a place for those things. There's still a place for a physical book, and it is available as an ebook too. But most people I meet tell me they bought both. They bought it both as an ebook and as as a, as a physical uh, hard copy. Yeah, I
1: mean, I would do that totally because when I love a book, I download it and then also order a copy because that's yeah, me too. <laughs> I think there's something kind of comforting about having it on your shelf. Yes, I agree completely.
2: Yes. You know, and when I like when I'm on vacation or something and I take a book, I actually want it to be a book. I don't want a digital thing that I can't see the screen because the sun is too bright or whatever. So,
1: yeah. True, true, I agree. Okay, Michelle, so tell me something about working from home, how to not lose your mind or mastering candy crush (laughs) instead of working. (laughs) I read that in your profile. I was like, wow, we need to discuss that. That's amazing.
2: So I often say that there are a lot of pros and cons to working from home. I started my business from home and then I moved it out of home because after a while I went, this is not working for me. And then when I sold the bakery, I came back home again because now I'm, I'm blogging and so I, need, I can do that from home. And you know what? I think the thing that's the, the, most, the thing that's most wonderful about working from home is that you truly can work whenever you want. And the thing that's most horrible about working from home is you can work whenever you want.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I <laughs> agree with that.
2: <laughs> so it's, it's both a pro and a con and, and the, I have to say working from home, the amount of self-discipline required is just unbelievable because, you know, I, I can work every hour that, is available to me, but should I really? And so I learned a lot of lessons. I learned about having office hours from my home-based business. I actually have office hours, a time when I go in and a time when I leave. And during those office hours, we don't do any laundry. We don't play any Candy Crush. You know, I don't, I don't go and do other random things. Those are my working hours, you know. So that's one of the things that has helped me, I have to say, immensely. Yeah. And as funny as this is going to sound, having a door on my office, or wherever I work is really helpful because when that door is closed, sorry, office hours are over. Can't go in there now.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, and the other thing about working from home that saved my sanity is, I really struggled, and I think a lot of people who work from home really struggle with the loneliness factor. I found that very, very challenging. I went from owning a busy bakery with employees and you know people coming into the shop all the time and all this kind of madness happening. It would, then it was just me and my laptop and the dog, you know, it got a bit, it got a little bit lonely in there. Right. So I learned if I was going to work from home, I had to find ways to get out of home too. So whether that was like, you know, catching up with a girlfriend for lunch or joining a networking, um, you know, group or just going out and getting exercise at the gym where there's other human beings that I can see or... I've just started in the last couple of months actually working a couple of days a week from a co-working space because the loneliness was making me crazy. So now I work in a co-working space a couple of days a week and it's wonderful. I suddenly have people again and it's not so lonely anymore. So Yay. <laughs> de- definite pluses and minuses to working from home. I think you can do it, but the self-discipline is the most important part.
1: Yeah, I can totally relate to the loneliness part and the self-discipline because when you're working at home, you're always working right, even after I mean, especially after the you know the children are sleeping. And everybody's sleeping. You're like, oh, this is a good time. Let's start working again. Um, but I feel it just kind of drains you out because you're not getting any break, as opposed to when you're working in a you know at a, at a workplace from nine to five.
2: Yep, yep. Giving when myself you... giving myself office hours in my home office was one of the best things I ever did.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, that's that's and a they... suggestion.
2: The other one that I have not yet mastered, I actually heard about this a couple of months ago, and I really want to try it, but I haven't been brave enough. Uh, so here, maybe this is our challenge for you and I. It's called the digital sunset. And Ooh. that's when, when the sun goes down, your all your devices go off too. Oh, wow. I like that. So no laptop, no phone, no whatever. It's called a digital sunset. So at sunset, everything else, you know, the phone, whatever. So I've managed that on the laptop point of view, but I haven't managed it on the phone point of view, but I'm still working on it. So at the moment, I'm, I'm trying to do it at least a couple of days a week. I don't know if I'd manage it at seven, but at least a couple.
1: That's days. good. I could try that too. But except that in London, now Now sunset is going to be, what, at 3, 3.30? <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> you might have to have, you have to have, like, you know, hear a sunset at 8 p.m. or something but same idea, right?
1: Yeah, true. Great. And what are your suggestions for women who are moms and business owners? How do we survive both?
2: Oh my goodness. You know, I actually not to like give myself my own plug here, but I actually did a whole podcast topic about this because it's something I get asked about a lot. And I think the thing to remember is that you cannot be all of the things all of the time. And I, I actually, I don't believe in, um, I don't believe in work-life balance. I think that's complete rubbish. I often say that work-life balance is a construct invented by women to make other women feel terrible about themselves. So I'm not a fan of that. So probably my top tip on that one is to simply accept that on some days you're going to be the best businesswoman that ever was. And on other days you're going to be the best mom that ever was. And on some rare days you're going to be both of those, but that there's no value in beating yourself up about either of those.
1: And I'm so glad Um, you mentioned that because I recently wrote an article in the Huffington Post which became quite popular and it was about female role models. And one of the things which I highlighted was that as women, we cannot have it all at the same time. And, you know, we have this innate fear of missing out on things uh, and we need to teach ourselves it's okay to miss out on a few things. So on some days, like you said, we would be really good at work. Absolutely. And and other days, you won't be good at work. You'll just be a very good mother and staying at home. So, yes, I so related to what you said that, you know, um, you can't really possibly have everything at the same time. Yeah. And I was,
2: yeah. And I was finding that like when I was being a full-time mom, you know, on those days when my kids really needed my attention, I was feeling terrible about the fact that I wasn't a business owner and not enjoying my kids because I was stressing out about work. And then the opposite was true when I was working all day and not giving my kids much attention. I felt terrible about the fact that, My business was getting, I never was fully in either one. You know, I was physically in one and my head was in another. And when I finally realized, you know what, today is a working day. I don't need to worry about the kids today. They're going to be all right. Or today is a family day. The business is going to survive another day without me. It actually transformed everything. Once I realized the key was simply accept today is a work day or today is a kid's day or today is a whatever day and stop thinking about the other one while you're doing the first one, you know, because otherwise you're not really present in either. So that, that worked a lot better for me. Once I accepted that some days I was a mother and some days I was a business owner and some days I was both, but it was okay if I wasn't both.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I love suggest, you know, this suggestion. this something which I completely relate to and agree with. Okay, so Michelle, I'm having such a good time, but I want to know a little bit more before we kind of close. Uh, I want to know, there's one topic which you mentioned that really interests me is, is how to market your business when you are on a shoestring budget or when you're an introvert. I'd like to know more about that. How do you do that?
2: Sure. Well, I think the thing about marketing is all in in my opinion, all good marketing is about um, doing the things that work for you and work for your business. And I think small business owners almost always miss the boat when it comes to doing local marketing. So we all love to be on social media. We're posting on Facebook a thousand times a day, you know, Instagram, whatever, whatever. And those things work. They're great. But if you are somebody who hates social media or isn't, um, you know, isn't comfortable with that or takes terrible photos or something, it's not going to work for you. So rather than beat yourself up about the fact that it's not going to work for you, it's about finding the methods that reach the people you want to reach. And that does not have to cost a lot of money. So, you know, as an example, if you're somebody who's not introverted and is happy to chat to people, but hates social media, you know, you can do things like, you know, And I'm just going to use cake as an example because that's my natural habitat. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you can do marketing where, you know, you host your local Girl Scout troop or your Boy Scout troop and you teach them how to decorate cupcakes. That's a form of marketing.
0: Right. right? Teaching right. all the
2: locals around you, you know. If you are somebody who um, you know, has a friend that's a florist, you and that florist can get together and do like a wedding special or something. We often as small business owners think that all the money in marketing, and all the effort in marketing lies only in social media. And some of it does for sure, but your overall picture needs to be bigger than that. So for me, if I'm introverted and you know, doing local things doesn't work for me, then yeah, I probably will focus on social media, but I'm going to do things that my competitors are not. So maybe I'll invest in Google AdWords or maybe I'll invest in boosting a Facebook post or something.
1: Right. You know,
2: for me, marketing is about also, you have to go and do the things that your competitors are not willing to go and do. And if you've got a hundred people in your industry who are all competing you and everybody is posting on Facebook, well, you can post on Facebook too, but you better find a way to stand out. So, maybe that's short videos. Maybe that's paying for advertising. Maybe that's any number of things. One of my students actually loves doing Facebook lives. Like she's, she's quite extroverted and very happy to do those. And she's created this whole kind of persona around these Facebook lives. Like she'll go into a local store where her product is being sold and do a little Facebook live about the store, which is marketing her, but also marketing her local business, you know? Right.
1: Right. Yeah, that's if you're, yeah. And if you're
2: super introverted, that's okay too. But there are ways that you can market as an introvert, right? And we don't need to be all running up to people and saying, buy my stuff. It's amazing. If that doesn't suit you to do it that way, don't do it that way. So I think good marketing is just finding out who your people are and then going where they are and communicating to them in a way that works for you, that you'll actually do it. The worst marketing is marketing you're not doing. So if you're sitting at home beating yourself up about all the marketing you're not doing, that's not really getting you very far. So yeah, I mean, even something as simple as, you know, a business card, business cards still work and they still get sold by the billions every day for a reason.
1: True. I agree. That's wonderful advice. And one last thing I want to ask you, Michelle, is because I am into a lot of, you know, food groups and cake groups because not because I mean, I yes, I like baking. But like I told you, I'm a foodie. Uh, So I'm in a lot of these groups. And one thing which which often pops up is, is how to deal with customers who are difficult. Uh, because sometimes people wouldn't turn up or, you know, your cake would just be lying there and nobody and they will book an order and they won't come to pick it up or they'll just have some very, uh, you know, unreasonable requirements or they're just kind of, uh, I mean, generally difficult overall. So what what is your advice? Um, yeah, my
2: advice on that is probably probably two parts to that here. The first part is, you know, whether you have a tiny home-based business, that's just you making one product a week, or you own a storefront, I think you cannot underestimate the value of having good business boundaries and communicating those boundaries. Right. So, you know, if you insist on a 50% deposit for your order, then okay, collect that deposit. Don't kind of go, Oh, don't worry about it. Because as soon as you relax your boundaries, your customers will relax their boundaries too. I mean, as an example, I don't understand why people take orders via text message. This really bothers me. This is like one of my, my personal bugbears. I can't stand it when people take, because the problem with text messages, we live in a society where people expect that they're going to get immediate answers to text messages. Right. So if you're running a small business and you're communicating with customers via text, then are you really surprised when they text you at 10 PM on a Sunday night? Are they being that unreasonable or are they simply following society's rules?
1: Yeah, that's
2: right?
0: yeah.
2: Right, but if, you're, but if your business boundaries are, I don't take any messages via text, I only communicate with my customers via email, then those people who email you generally understand that you're not necessarily doing it at 10 o'clock at night on a Sunday. So for me, the way to handle difficult customers is to teach them to not be difficult by providing them with boundaries and then sticking to your boundaries. Um, from the very outset,
1: right? From the very outset.
2: Absolutely. From the very outset. So, you know, whatever, you don't have to have crazy rules, but have boundaries, have rules, you know, pickups are between nine and 12. And if they, if you don't show up at 12, there's a late fee or however. So that's probably the first part of the story. And the second part of the story, I think is when dealing with customers to accept that no matter how many boundaries you give them, there is always going to be that rogue person who's just a major pain in the behind. And sometimes people just go a little cuckoo. It happens, you know, they just kind of don't behave in the way you want them to behave. And in that case, I usually say that the thing to do is I would love to say, don't take it personally, but in a small business, that's impossible. So I usually say the thing to do is work out, who is who or what is the problem here is it that you didn't communicate is it truly that they just went off the rails like actually try to nut out obviously once the situation is over try to nut out where in the process things went wrong and then create a procedure or a boundary around that to prevent that happening again but also accept that the nature of business is that sometimes you're just going to have a few crazies it's not pleasant but it definitely happens to all of us
1: Wow. Thank you so much, Michelle. I think I learned so much. I'm sure the audience is also going to really benefit from this podcast because you shared some very good, actionable, concrete advice, which they can follow immediately. It was such an honor to have you. But before we go and before we finish this off, and I i don't know if we actually feel bad because it's just 20, 25 minutes of time limit that we have. Otherwise, we could just go on chatting for hours. But It's really good to have you on the podcast. But Before we go, I want to know where can people find you? Where can they contact you? Sure. Well,
2: everywhere, everything I do is called The Business of Baking. So if you just Google The Business of Baking, you're going to find me somewhere because that's what the book's called, that's what the podcast's called, that's what the blog is called. But the best place to start is probably right at the very beginning, which is the blog, which is thebizofbaking.com. Um, and so it's the b i z of baking.com, And that's from there you can reach all the other places, social media and whatever. But I usually say start at the blog because that's kind of like the mothership of all my cool stuff.
1: That is amazing. Is there anything else you'd like to add before going?
2: You know, I think the only thing I want to add here is that so many people in small business. You know, my favorite thing to say is, um, "How do I put this succinctly?" I would say, "Don't give up on having a life because you want to have a business, but don't give up on having a business because you want to have a life." I think you can. Whoa,
0: have
1: that is amazing! I love it. I could quote that. <laughs> feel
2: free so i I truly you know i meet so many people who say things like michelle i can't start a business because my children are too young or i'm too tall too short too old too fat too stupid too broke too whatever and i just think oh gosh please start it if you've got if you've got that fire inside you to do it please do it and maybe it'll be imperfect but you know better be imperfect and done than never done so yeah
1: wow that is so inspiring and i'm so glad to have you michelle thank you so much we learned so much from you today
0: my pleasure. R and R trains, coaches, and mentors women, empowering them to overcome personal and professional challenges, and enabling them to revitalize and rise. You are now listening to R and R she Conversations with inspirational and heroic female role models who are creating a difference. To hear these motivational conversations, subscribe to revitalizeandrise.com.